Lots of scripture to read today. And I'll try not to expound too much because I think that the scriptures are going to paint the picture. And it's, it's so beautiful to me. Last night in the men's meeting was um, a testimony of substantial testing in a person's life. And then at the end, um, what good came from all this? And, and the ability to articulate how God had done good out of this really, really, I mean really nasty situation. And today's message is just about that. It's about testing. It's about discipline. It's about suffering and how that relates in the kingdom and how that relates in our lives and how maybe sometimes we have a perception of what it means. Like me, when I first got saved, I don't even know when for sure I got saved because I don't know when I truly understood in my heart the offer that Jesus was making. But people wanted me so much to be drawn to Jesus that the only conversation, and maybe it was my ears, I don't know, but the only conversation that stuck with me was, God wants to bless you. 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 I had no kingdom spiritual perspective to hang blessing on. I didn't understand that I would suffer for Christ and that that would be a blessing. I didn't understand that a blessing was a very selfish, worldly kind of a perspective we have to understand that that God's perspective for our lives is much greater. A a guy that used to go here, he he would preach here once in a while. He had a statement that he would use often, that God is more concerned for our character than our comfort. And at first I thought, well, no, that's not the one I wanted to sign up for. I want to sign up for the one who's concerned about my comfort, thinking I actually had character. turns out I didn't have much character. (laughs) But he's developing in me the character of Christ. So today that's what I want to talk to you about, and I'll try not to expound too much. There's a few places I will, um, but hopefully the the scriptures will speak for themselves primarily. Let's start in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. And and I'm going to repeat this one multiple times today. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's reasons why God allows us to be tested. Four of them, and and I'm sure there's 400 of them, but four of them that came to my heart when I was preparing are these. First, reason why God allows testing is to ensure that the salvation we've gained is kept until we pass into eternal life. Now, some people believe that once you've been sincerely saved, that you can never be, you know, so to speak, unsaved. You can't lose your salvation. And and I respect their opinion. I really do. I, I can see some scriptures that might lead you in that direction. I don't believe that. I believe that you came to faith by trusting in Jesus as Savior. You came to saving faith by confessing Jesus as Lord over your life. And if those dynamics should change, that you've come outside of that place of salvation. So one reason why God allows us to be tested is so that we know where we're at. Paul himself says, test yourself to see if you're in the faith. Because he wants us to finish. That's why speaking to the church the, the scripture writers use words like your hope of salvation. Well, wait a minute. I'm saved. You are saved. But your hope of salvation is that it will be absolutely culminated when you pass from this life into the next. Second reason, to prepare us for our ultimate destiny of reigning with Christ in his eternal kingdom. Now, this is one that I understand that we're going to do, but I don't really have a picture for what that looks like in eternity. My, my picture of, of eternity is limited. I'm sure it will expand but I don't understand who it is that I might reign over if it's you guys. 
in me. How does that work? I don't know. But I do know that the scripture says that we will reign with him for eternity. So there's some purpose that's beyond temporal, beyond the church being the light of the world, to draw the world to Jesus, to demonstrate the kingdom and manifest the kingdom. There's, there's a beyond this life something that matters about how we develop now. And, and that's the second thing that I think he's working out in these tests that he allows to happen in our lives. The third one is to facilitate our transformation process into the likeness of Jesus, from glory to glory to glory, into the likeness of Christ. So as we go through tests, we're able to see, right, when I'm in the parking deck and somebody doesn't let me in the line, which it's like the eternal sin that you can't be forgiven from the way I reacted. I learned something about myself. There's a place in me that doesn't look at all like Jesus, and it gave me occasion to cry out to God to to fix whatever's broken in my heart so that I would never respond outside of the character of Jesus in a situation like that. It helps me to see where I'm not like Jesus so that I might be more like Jesus. Then the fourth one is that we might be exalted by God, that we might be exalted by God for his glory and his purposes. See, he wants the church to be exalted. There's an exaltation that he's wanting individually and collectively of his church so that people will see. Um, Now, exaltation in the kingdom comes only through humility, right? The the smartest isn't the one who gets exalted unless the smartest is the slave of all. The prettiest, you know, you define pretty how you want, isn't the one that gets exalted in the kingdom. It's the pretty one who is the slave of all, who's the most humble, who accepts the kingdom like a child. Exaltation comes from lowness in the kingdom. And he's wanting to show off his church, but he can't show off a a prideful church. Only a surrendered church. So the four things to ensure that our salvation is actually consummated when we pass from this life to the next. The second is to prepare us for our ultimate destiny of reigning and ruling with Christ in eternity, to facilitate our transformation process into the likeness of Jesus, and finally, that he might have a church that he's comfortable to exalt before the world for his glory and for his purposes. Now, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Does anybody that's honest ever connect the trials of life and joy in the same sentence? We don't. Would it be safe to say that that you would be more likely to connect the trials and tribulations of life with suffering before you would connect them with joy? Okay, so let's just agree that in the flesh, it is not joyful to be tested and tried. I had this thought during worship. There's a song. We haven't sang it in a long time. Maybe sometime we should sing it. I'll write a sermon around it. It'll be good. There's a song. It's a uh, not Kim Walker, Misty Edwards song. Um, I don't remember the song. But, but the, like the chorus of the song goes like this. I always tell the church, it's like, listen, this is an adult song. Before you say these words, understand what you're singing to the Lord. Test me, try me, prove me, refine me, like to fire, like to gold. We're saying, God, I want to be like Jesus. He says, there's a way. What is it, Lord? Put me in a pot of fire and cook me until all the junk comes up and then scrape it off and look. Do I look just exactly like you? Not exactly. Cook me some more, Lord, and let more junk come up. That's the adult Christian walk. It is. But I don't want it to be that way. 
There's a lot of joy and glory in being like Jesus. For now, godliness, right? You can work out and you can get muscles and however you, you, know, you want to get in your body and there's a little bit of benefit for that. But to seek godliness has benefit for this life and for the life to come. Okay, I won't sing to you anymore unless you ask nice, which I'm pretty sure you won't. In the flesh, trials are not joyful, but our instruction from the scripture, who said the word, was it determine, Richard, that you were using? Or somebody was saying, determine this. It's the same thing. Consider it. Jim, Jim consider it all joy. When you have the opportunity to take uh, an inventory of the tests and the trials you're in, you have two choices. It can be miserable and you can see it for the, the fleshly misery that it is, or you can consider it. You can determine in your heart and in your mind that it's all joy. Because God is working out a mature perfection in you, and he's using the fires of trials to get you there. So you can decide, how do you want to consider it? Consider it miserable or consider it pure joy? It make a difference on your perception of life. It'll make a difference in how you feel. Because I promise you, if you consider it suffering, it ain't going to make it go away. If you consider it joy, it ain't going to make it go away. But the process will be a whole lot easier and a whole lot more pleasant depending on the perspective that you choose to take. Okay, let me read you some scriptures from the Old Testament. This one, it's funny. I was looking at my notes, and, and I saw something that just didn't stick out before, and it, it just kind of blows me away. Maybe it will you, maybe not. I don't know. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. I forget to breathe. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder... And the sign of the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. The part that got me wow was this. Some prophet or some dreamer of dreams offers a sign and a wonder. Hey, listen, you know, the God of the Christmas plant is a really great God and we should serve the God of the Christmas plant. And the way you'll know that that's true is in five minutes, we're going to watch it. And in five minutes exactly, it's going to burst into flames, but the carpet won't be bothered and you'll know that the God of the Christmas plant is the real God. And we wait for five minutes, and sure as anything, that thing bursts into flames. And we say, wow, that was, that was a confirming sign. We've been following the wrong God. Who made that happen? God allowed that. I don't know if he did it or not, but he allowed that sign to be given to you and to me to see if we would trust him. Do you really love God? I don't buy your sign. Why don't you buy my sign? Because your sign points me towards a God that's other than the one true God that I've given my life to. But God allowed it to happen. For what purpose? To test us. To see, how did my name your person you love? God, how did you let him die? We all prayed, we prayed, we prayed. Maybe he allowed it to happen partially as a test. Do you love me? Do you trust me? Two things that scripture says. God will allow, or three things. He will allow 
actual signs and wonders that would appear to affirm false truth. You have to decide. We have to decide. Where do we place our faith? What is truth? The testing that he talks about here are two things. The love for the Lord. Do you love God? How do you express love for God? Is it a warm feeling? I'm sorry, say it again. Obeying his words. He gives me no other indication that I've found in scripture how I express love to him. He tells me how I express love to you with patience and kindness and not keeping a record of wrongs and all these different things. But the way I express love to him is to obey his commands. So if you say, God, I love you, I love you, I love you, and then you walk outside of his commands, he never heard your voice because your actions are how you express your love to him. And he's so glorious. He says, the way that, you, that, that you're commanded to love me first and above all other things, and the way you do it is to love your neighbor as yourself. A new command I give you, love your neighbor as yourself. How do I love you, God? Love each other. The ultimate expression of love to God is, is, is loving one another and obeying his commands. The second thing is to fear the Lord. And we'll see another scripture that's like the perfect, reverent, humble expression of fear of the Lord later. But it's, it's good to fear God. We'll see that in some of these other scriptures too. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Anything funny about that scripture to you? In order that you would fear God. Do not be afraid in order that you would fear God. I might not understand the difference between fear and afraid, but that seems a little odd to me that the reason you shouldn't be afraid is that you might fear God. Why do you fear God? It says here, so that you may not sin. If we understand the consequence and the one who, it says a terrible thing that the wrath of God would come on a person. The fear of God, the reverent fear of God will keep us in a place of not sinning. There's a thing, there's a healthy fear and there's unhealthy fear. There's a healthy fear that says, you know what? If that stovetop is glowing, I'm not going to put my hand on there because I fear the result of touching that heat. There's a similar kind of healthy fear that when we see what the Lord says and we understand, read the Old Testament about Israel, the, the, the way that he tested them and tried them and, and they failed and, and he was so gracious always. If you'll just repent, I won't do all these things. But right now you're forcing this on yourself. There's a healthy, healthy fear of the Lord that if we understand it will help us to not sin. Okay, here's one of the greatest tests that we see in Scripture. It's, it's a long bit, so you'll have to bear with me. Genesis 22, 1 through 12. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. I want that relationship. Pat, here I am, Lord. And he, I don't especially want him to take me down this path, but I love to have that relationship with God where literally it's conversational. It's so awesome. Okay, here I am, he said. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. (laughs) Abraham didn't say, what? Huh? This is what reverent fear, this is what humility before God looks like. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. 
On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham, had, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And if you continue to read on, God actually did provide a ram for the sacrifice. This is humble reverence before God. He didn't question God. He didn't think in his own ways. He trusted God. Matter of fact, his trust for God was credited to him as eternal righteousness. Humility. The opposite of biblical pride is probably the most powerful most desirable characteristic that any of us could hope to attain. You could say, well, love is a better characteristic. Love can't happen outside of humility. Only in godly humility can we love anybody because the ultimate expression of love is what? To sacrifice yourself for somebody else. What's the ultimate expression of humility? To sacrifice yourself before God. See, biblical pride, when somebody says, oh, that's prideful, you know, hey, my son scored a touchdown in football. I'm so proud. Oh, that's pride, and you're not supposed to have that. No, 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 that's not biblical pride. That's, that's a father's pride over his son. It's okay. Biblical pride is when you place yourself above the Lord. When the Lord says to love your neighbor, and you say, I can't love that neighbor. When the Lord says that Brandon Hayes is part of your church, and you're to love him as part of the body of Christ because he's confessed Jesus as his Lord and his Savior, and you say, I could never love a man like that. That's the pride that the Bible is talking against. Now, it's perfectly acceptable to say, God, I don't know how in a million years I could ever love somebody that could do such a horrible thing. But I submit myself to your abilities and your grace, and you will get the grace to do what the Lord asked you to do. But in pride, you will never. And you won't understand why. And you might even think it's like the burning plant because you'll say, well, if God wanted me to, he would. It's like, no, 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 because you've chosen yourself above God and he's pushed you away. He resists the proud, but he embraces and gives grace to the humble. So whenever he tells us something that says, sacrifice your son, and you say yes, you'll actually get the grace to do it. Fortunately for Abraham, it wasn't anything more than a test. But it was a big test. That's the third point. The test can be really, really substantial. And if you weren't at the men's meeting last night and you wonder how substantial they can be, you need to talk to Kennard and find out what a terrible test he's been through. It can be substantial, but God allows it because he's sovereign. He's in control of everything. 
It sure doesn't seem like it sometimes because we don't understand his thoughts and his ways are so much greater and so much higher than our own. We try to ascribe our understanding to his ways and we can't. We have to go back to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We just have to. That's the only answer we have because he hasn't given us minds that can conceive of everything that he's doing. Deuteronomy. I mean, this is in the context of your own personal trials. Everybody, I promise you, there's some trial in your life and you're being tested. If he's allowed it to happen, you're being tested. He might not have ordained it. It may not have been his very best, but because it's found its way into your life, it's an opportunity for you to affirm what you believe, who you trust, who you love. Deuteronomy 8, 2 through 5. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. He might humble you, test you to know what was in your heart. I didn't know what was in my heart until he allowed me into that situation. Those situations, (laughs) many situations where he gives me a perspective on what's in my heart. And sometimes... I respond really well, and it feels so wonderful to say, Lord, you tested me. I had the time when God would come every morning, five in the morning, I'd get out of bed, oh, and I'd I'd sit above the garage, and I would sing songs. I didn't know anything else to do, and he would come, and I would weep and cry for joy. I mean, every morning, and then it stopped. I didn't stop. I was there every morning, but he wasn't there. And after about a week or two, I started getting really cranky and I said these words out loud. I said, God, where are you? I don't understand it. I get up every morning and you don't bother to show up. What an arrogance. (laughs) Got a word. Somebody got a word from the Lord. Hey, you know, I got a word for Pat. Teresa says, give it to him. She's like, I don't think he's going to like it very much. She says, it's all right. Just give it to him. Calls me up. Listen, don't shoot the messenger. This is what the Lord told me to tell you. I'm like, what? Grumbling and complaining. Like, whoa. The next morning, I was crying out to the Lord. I am so sorry. As as immature as I was at that time, I understood I'd been tested and I failed miserably. We're in Africa. Heidi Baker, under this tent, just, oh my gosh, the worship is amazing and the Holy Spirit just drops in this place like a bomb and, and people are crying and they're just, oh, it's so glorious and I feel like a stump. I'm like, oh, that looks awesome. That would be so good. And I started to say, I said these very words to God. I said, Lord, where is my love? Where's my love? Look at how you're loving all these people. I got no love. I want to be on the floor. I want to be just overwhelmed by your glory. You give me nothing. And he took me into a vision. This just wrecks me. Every time I think about it, I'm this little guy on earth and I'm looking up and I can see Jesus and I see his face and his face is looking down at me and he's not mad at me. He's not angry. His look on his face is like, Pat, 
I don't know any other way to express my love for you. And you know how I saw his face? His hands were like this. And I was over there and I saw it through the hole of his hand. I flunked another test. I could have stood there and said, God, I don't care if you touch me in any way other than knowledge of what you did for me on the cross. And I could find every bit of love I need in that. But I failed the test. And it's not so bad that I failed the test. I mean, I wish I hadn't. But I'm glad I got that vision because it humbles me to no end to think that I should ask God for something more than his son. But it brought me to a place of humility. It helped me. It was a good test. And God knew I was going to flunk it before he gave it to me. But he's helping me to be like Jesus. Oh, it shifted. that he might humble you. Okay. One of the reasons I think is that we might be made into the likeness of Jesus is why he tests us. Listen to this. Jesus, right? Jesus had to pass the tests, all the tests. Every way that any man would ever be tested or tempted or or have any unction to sin, Jesus had to experience it and had to pass the test. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been qualified. Just because he was Jesus did not make him the spotless, perfect lamb of God that was qualified to be sacrificed for the sins of all of mankind. He had to pass all the tests. Listen to this from Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him, capital H, Jesus, for, for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons, I guess it's the father, many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Him, in this case, was God the Father. The author of their salvation, our salvation, is Jesus. How was he perfected? Through suffering. He was made to suffer unto the result of perfection. Hebrews, again, 5, 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Suffering is just a function of being a son and being brought to the knowledge of obedience, to be brought to this place of perfection. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Joy, Lord, it sucks. It's no fun. It's not about fun. It's about perseverance doing its work. And as perseverance finishes its work, you might be complete and mature and lacking nothing. It's good to only take the test once, not twice or three times or four times, but sometimes you've got to have it more than once. You can't look at the test. You have to look at the result of the test. And then you can find joy. I'll say it again. There is no greater virtue, in my opinion, than to learn humility and to accept humility and then to walk in humility that you might be exalted by God for his purpose and for his kingdom. James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Therefore, 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself, places himself above the Lord, shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. 1 Peter again, 4, 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. What name? Christian. Suffering, glorifying God in the name of Christian, withstanding trials and tribulations and these things that he uses to shape us in our character, to mold us into the, into the likeness of Jesus Christ, his, his, him, very self. I don't know what the right word is. Like Jesus. 
Look at Jesus again. The perfect example of humility and exaltation. Listen to this. Philippians 2, 5 through 9. Speaking to us. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Now you have to understand, someday we're going to go and we're going to see Jesus in his glory. And we'll have some sense for what it meant for him to take on flesh, to be incarnate as a man. This is Christmas. This is the God, Jesus, taking on mere flesh so that it could be ripped off his back someday so that we could have salvation. When we see him in his glory on his throne, his perfection, his love, his, oh, when we know as we're known, this will mean so much more to us than it does now what his sacrifice was for us. That he emptied himself. He emptied himself. He was God. He never ceased to be God, but yet he chose not to access his deity in the flesh so that he would, as a man, suffer every test, every trial, every temptation so that he could be offered as the perfect lamb of God. He could be the perfect high priest to offer himself. He emptied himself. He didn't do miracles in his deity. He did miracles as a sinless man full of the Holy Spirit doing what he hears the Father say. Laying hands on a leper and the leper gets cleansed because Jesus is God. No, because he's full of the Holy Spirit. Acting how you and I act as the body of Christ. But he emptied him, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He emptied himself. He humbled himself. And it was in humility that Jesus was exalted. It wasn't in deity that Jesus was exalted. It was in humility that Jesus was exalted and given the name above every name. Same with us. Want to be raised up? Go down. Find a foot to wash. Surrender your anger. Surrender your offense to God in humility that he might exalt you and use you as a mechanism for the releasing of his love and his glory into this world. Oh, another long one. Hebrews 12, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, some of this you've got to read in context. Forgive me. Read Hebrews 11 and 12, and, and, and the therefore will make more sense to you. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. 
For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Hey, it's in there. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Jesus, for the joy set before him. What did Jesus consider? Did he consider the agony that was in his hands and his feet, his wrists, in his back because the flesh wasn't there anymore? He's up against this nasty cross. No, he endured it. He never spoke a word that wasn't supposed to be spoken because he didn't look at this. He didn't consider the trial. He considered the joy set before him. That's us. We're the joy set before him. It wasn't that he'd get to return to his throne. He'd had that joy. He had the joyful anticipation that somebody would acknowledge his suffering and his truth and would confess him as Lord and trust him as Savior that he might then be glorified by your confession in his suffering. He considered the joy, not the cross. Who wants to consider the cross? That's horrible. But the mind that's set beyond it can endure it. And it... it, 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 it it, it matures us and perfects us when we go through these things. The best way is with our mind set to what's on the other side, what God is doing in it. What does a trial look like? Someone disrespects you. Bill and Joan have talked so much. They did kind of a, a marriage relationship sermon a little bit last week. And they talked about Joan said, a woman needs love to be satisfied and fulfilled in a relationship. A man needs respect. And I've been noticing in my home, when my flesh rises up, if I analyze what I'm perceiving, it's always a lack of respect. I don't have an issue with you love me or you don't love me so much. But if, if Teresa or the girls interact with me in a way that I feel disrespected, I have a lot of flesh that I have to wrestle down in those moments. A trial looks like someone disrespects you, maybe especially if you're a man. <laughs> a trial looks like somebody rides your bumper when you're going the speed limit and they want you over. Instead of nicely waiting for you to get around the traffic, they force their will on you by making you think they're going to run you out. How are you going to respond to that test? Are you going to pray for that person, hope that wherever they're getting, they get there safe? Or are you going to start to play that game that they're playing with you. It's a test. How are you going to respond? God tells you to adopt a child and it costs you $5,000, $10,000, $20,000 and you look at your bank book and there isn't any in there. That's a test. Do you trust God to meet your needs if he sends you someplace or not? I love the story of um, Claire, Claire Green. God confirmed with a sign and a wonder they'd been praying, should we adopt this girl, Lord? Yes, they don't have any money. Cost thousands of dollars. Was it within 48 hours from someplace else in the country, all of a sudden, the exact amount of money that they needed. When did the money come? Before or after the yes? If the money comes before, it makes the yes pretty easy, doesn't it? 
is not a test at that point. When you say yes in the middle of the test, and then God shows himself to be faithful, now your faith is increased, and you did a pretty good job in the test. You know a little bit better about where you stand with the Lord. James says, consider it all joy. The testing is of your faith. That's the big test, your faith. The testing of your faith. Where are you, Lord? Where's my love, God? My faith is being tested. And when it's tested and I see, it gives me the opportunity to cry out for help in that area so that my faith will be sound, that I won't doubt God. I won't lose trust in what his word says. 1 Corinthians 2.9. However, as it is written, now this is kind of the other side for us, right? How, as it is written, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. This statement came to me, and I want to read it to you because you, you have to listen for the words. God is pref- God is repaired. God is preparing us for that which he has prepared for us. The better we respond in the preparation of us, the greater we will receive in what he's prepared for us. And you say, well, man, maybe it's not worth the pain of the test and the trial that I'm going through, but your mind can't conceive. Think about it. Think of the most unbelievable, amazing outcome that you could dream of. It's not even on the chart. Because he didn't give you the ability, it requires faith to conceive of what he has planned for those that love him. God is preparing us for that which he has prepared for us. Romans 8, 28 and 29, very familiar scripture probably to most of you. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. If you ever hear us use the phrase all things, oh my gosh, you don't know what's going on. It's an all thing. What's an all thing? It's an all thing that God is using because you love him, because you're called according to his purpose. Everything that happens in your life, God is using for ultimate good. How do you know that? Because it says so. Why do you believe it? Because I have experience and I have faith. To what purpose? What's a good thing? What's an all thing working towards? The confirmation, us being conformed to the image of his son. James 1.10, or 12, excuse me. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The blessing is the fruit of perseverance. The promised land. Maybe that's a bad example. In the trial, we persevere. If we persevere, we get the blessing. If we don't, return to go, or, you know, to square one, don't pass go, don't pick up your blessing, start again. Do again, do again. God, you're so mean, I don't want to do this anymore. I know, pass the test. It's just a test. Just pass the test. We help each other to pass the test. If we're transparent with one another, we can come alongside one another in the tests. The blessing is the fruit of the perseverance. Without the perseverance, 
the blessing can't come because if he gives us the blessing without the perseverance, no fruit, no outcome, no transformation happens. So back to the beginning. Two, op- two options we have for the actual experience of testing, misery or joy. The key is how we consider it. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus chose, he considered his options and he chose to consider the joy in the trial. God is working in everything. Nothing, no suffering, no discipline, no pain, no trial. Nothing is wasted because all things work to good for those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. There's nothing wasted. No matter how miserable it is, God will not waste it. If God didn't ordain it, if, if God didn't plan it for you, if, if you somehow came into agreement with the enemy and you brought this junk into your life, God will use it. Nothing is wasted. No test, no trial, no pain, no discipline, no nothing. Everything has purpose. Everything is redeemed to bring about God's will for us, his church. Hence, consider it pure joy. Okay, almost done. One last thought I want to leave you with. Remember, trials are going to come. You are not, it is not God's ultimate desire in this life purpose to bless us in our worldly sense of what a blessing is. That was my deception. I've come to learn differently. There's so much joy in coming through the trials. There's so much joy in the perspective on the backside of the trial. This is Paul in Philippians again, chapter three, verses seven through 11. It's so beautiful. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, here you go, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, My exhortation today is this. See trials for what they are. Look beyond the trial to the joy, understanding that all things God's working in for his purposes, your goodness, ultimate goodness. It's the way it is. We could wish it was different, but it isn't going to be different. So make a choice. If you see a brother or sister who's going through a trial, stand alongside them, help them. We don't want to run from the trial and the test because the test is there to achieve a thing. If there's evil in the thing, we pray against the evil because the devil is only about killing, stealing, and destroying. God is about life and life abundant. But some of the trials, we just got to go through them. We have to stand and persevere. We have to endure. Scripture says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Amen? Okay. Anybody needs prayer for anything, please feel free to come up and get it. Let me just pray over you before we close today. Father, you have ordained the best way for us. You have ordained the best way for your church to find its way into the likeness of Christ. And we praise you for it. We will not, Lord, lean on our own understanding. We recognize our limitations relative to your absolute omniscience and power. Lord, I pray for every one of us, every person in this room and those of us that aren't here today, for your entire church, that we would see the trials and the sufferings 
the way you teach us in your word, that we would see every failure as an opportunity to have a place in our hearts changed to be more like Jesus. And we accept and desire that you will make us into the fullness and the perfect character of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.